It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. A very good afternoon to you and welcome to The Late Lunch. Orla in for Jerry. Lots to talk about today. We're going to hear from a mother and son who've lost loads of weight. We're going to be encouraging women to run for election. Yes, that's it, to become councillors or t- TDs or senators. But my first guest is the author of a book called The 28 Day Alcohol Free Challenge. And he's also launched an app called Dry. That's a free app called Dry, D-R-Y-Y. And it helps us cut down if we can't cut out the alcohol. And you're very welcome to the programme, Andy Ramage. How you doing, Anna? Thanks uh, for having me. I'm absolutely great, Andy. You were a footballer in a former life and then you became a broker in London, which is a very high-pressured role, obviously. But you quit all of that to get into self-help. How did that come about? It came about, really, after my football career came to an end. I ended up in that fast-paced world of broking. And part of that was to entertain clients and my life was somewhat awash with alcohol. There was no big problem or addiction. Was I drinking too much? Absolutely, in that environment. And I decided to take a break. And no one else had ever done that in that world. And I thought, I'll take a proactive break from alcohol just to see if it made me feel a bit fitter and healthier. At that stage, I'd put on freestoning weight and I was a bit unfulfilled and unfit and unhealthy. And the transformation was incredible. I lost all that weight got my fitness back, my resting heart rate went from 68 down to 42, my relationships got better, my business boomed, then I just thought, do you know what, I think there's probably loads of people out there that are in that middle lane that would benefit from taking a break and that led me on that adventure. So you consciously left the world of broking and you set up as a health and and a wellness coach, is that it? Yeah, in many ways, and that transition happened over a period of time. Uh, The golden handcuffs of the city are often very difficult to escape but I was just drawn to try and give back and make a difference in many ways and um, you know when you start to help people and inspire them potentially to take a break from alcohol or to improve themselves and you get that message that says you know what you said or did was beneficial for me that was the greatest buzz in the world so that inspired me then to be brave enough to step out of the the corporate world into coaching and entrepreneurship and setting up uh, organisations such as Drive for example. The, 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 we'll, we'll come to that in a moment, Andy, but I suppose what I'm hearing there from you is that, I mean, your own journey in dealing with alcohol. But as you said, you never had any drama. You weren't falling down drunk in the street. And I think a lot of people, when they're trying to think about cutting down or controlling their alcohol use, they will say, well, sure, look, I'm not an alcoholic. I've never had any major problem. I've never embarrassed myself or anybody else. So then they carry on. Is that a kind of a dangerous way to be thinking? 
Yeah, I call it the middle lane, and that's where I was. Middle lane drinking, someone that would drink averagely, sometimes heavily, sometimes not at all, sometimes moderately. And that's probably about 70% of the adult population of Ireland and the Western world. But that's the group I'm most worried about because that group are not addicted. They don't have problematic drinking just yet. So they keep grinding those gears year after year. And if it's anything like me, I was inconsistent in the way I exercised because of the tiredness and the grogginess of hangovers, which hang around for days on end. My nutrition was inconsistent, really, because of the grogginess of the odd hangovers that, that would hang around for days on end. I was inconsistent in work, inconsistent in my relationships. And I think lots of people in that middle lane have probably got no idea the massive impact that alcohol is having on them, even as a middle lane drinker, until they remove it for a while. That description of a middle lane drinker is very good because it does apply to an awful lot of people. I think maybe here in Ireland we have quite an unusual relationship with alcohol. We have a bit of guilt about it. It's that sort of Irish guilt. But also I think there is a kind of a all or nothing. It's like one day or one week I don't drink at all because I'm on a programme and I'm being really healthy and I'm going to the gym and I'm doing stuff. And then I go out at the weekend and I go nuts. You know, there's a bit of that going on with us. And and I think it's that thing of where you're saying, OK, if you can't cut down or you can't cut out, you, you can cut down. And is that what your app does? Does it help people just manage it? Yeah, it's just basically an inspirational space, a, a community that's, you know, at the bedrock of it is a break from alcohol to go alcohol free, because I think it's one of those things you won't know if you get all of those incredible benefits, such as, you know, weight loss and more time and more energy and better skin, unless you experience actually taking a break. And then what we tend to find is once someone's taken a break and if they're feeling great for it and still having the crack, by the way, and still going out and being super social and maybe drinking alcohol free alternatives, which are everywhere now which didn't really exist before, and demonstrating to themselves they can still have a great social life but feel fitter and faster and healthier. I think very often what happens in that inspirational kind of space, people then you know, take longer breaks or they just start to drink a bit less because they've realised their life is even more rewarding without it or a little bit less. I think your approach to the 28-day alcohol-free challenge, again, we have something like that in Ireland already and it's called Dry November. And it came out of a thing where, you know, people gave up alcohol uh, for the holy souls in purgatory and it was just something that got into the into the psyche. It was supposed to be, it was a semi-religious thing back in the day, but then it's become a health thing maybe in recent times. But then, of course, you can undo all the good you do in November by, again, going nuts over Christmas. Um, so how do you sort of um, encourage people to be a bit more consistent about this maybe? Brilliant question because yeah exactly that you could take a break and tell yourself this is going to be a rubbish month I'm going to lock myself away it's a bit of dry gen type of approach isn't it you know my life's going to be dull and then all you end up doing is reaffirming probably a limiting belief that you need alcohol to have fun and be social for example that's just not true so I think our approach is different look at it a different way. What are the benefits? What are the wins that you might get from taking a 28-day break from alcohol? Do you lose some weight? Does your skin look better? Are you more consistent? Does that anxiety that's been hanging around dissipate or disappear? Are your relationships a little bit better? Are you more consistent at work? And I think if you bring that focus to it, then all of a sudden that month break could be a transformational experience because you allowed yourself to see the wins for you from taking a break. 
How do you actually begin to ask yourself or question yourself whether you have a problem with alcohol? We discussed there, you know, you're not falling down, you're not doing anything embarrassing. But how do you actually begin to say, I wonder, is this a problem for me or not? What are the kind of markers you need to be looking for? I think it's all relevant to the individual. So if you're waking up feeling a bit tired and a bit groggy and a bit unfit and a bit unhealthy and you're wondering on a you know Sunday morning after a Saturday night that you've got a bit of anxiety and you're just not quite as energised as you once was, I think you start to ask those questions. But it's funny about alcohol. We ask lots of questions about other things. We might say, oh, I need to exercise more. Oh, I need to improve my nutrition. Or I need to jump in an ice bath. But probably the last thing we ever think about questioning is alcohol. So for me, we've got it the wrong way around. I think look at the alcohol first. And a great way to look at that is to remove it for a while and see what the benefits are. But a caveat, you know, if you do feel that you've been drinking too much or you might be physically dependent on alcohol, and I think this says so much, you do need to seek medical advice because it can be lethal to stop too abruptly if you've slipped into a place of dependency, although we're talking much further up the stream than that in the prevention space. But that goes to show how dangerous alcohol can actually be. And you say there that it causes anxiety and sleeplessness. Again, people are probably, as you've said, attributing that to something else. But would you on that 28 day challenge, do you believe that 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 would dissipate or even disappear? It absolutely did for me. And here's some research. The largest ever study into a 28 day break from alcohol for, again, middle lane drinkers showed that on average they lost three kilograms in weight, reduced their liver fat, dangerous liver fat by 40 percent reduced their risk of type 2 diabetes and certain types of cancers and also reduced anxiety, for example. Mental health suffers so much, I think, from poor sleep. We also know that alcohol, and again, this is middle-lane drinking, destroys your sleep. And then you wake up groggy and tired and a little bit anxious. When you remove alcohol, you start to sleep better. A lot of that, and I've seen this subjectively and in my own story, will dissipate. Of course, it's not panacea for all of these things, but very often it's the first thing I think we should remove for a while just to see what's underneath. You mentioned their fatty liver. What exactly is that? So that is the dangerous visceral liver fat that can um, start to form around your organs effectively. And that's what happens. Part of the process of alcohol being broken down into the system can get stored as fat as it breaks down to basically a toxin called acetaldehyde, which is a carcinogenic. This is where it's linked to cancer. It's the same carcinogenic in a way in the same bracket as asbestos, nicotine, radiation. I mean, people just don't think about these things, but that ends up causing this process where a byproduct of that is fat around the organs effectively. And it also impacts on ageing. Yes. So I spoke to Professor Kevin Moore about this recently, and he said one of the big things that people don't realise, they know that smoking ages our skin, but they don't realise that it's the same process with alcohol. It's making you look tired. When you remove it, I always like to flip it to the positive. That's why it's great to take a break because you'll probably find your skin looks better. You'll probably even find your hair looks better. There's a thing called sober hair that everyone talks about. It's more voluptuous and bouncy, apparently. That is amazing. I've never heard that before. Sober hair. Andy, I want to ask you how we can turn this around and the tips and steps we can take to actually cut down or cut out. But I need to take a break. So you stay on the line there, please. I'm going to take a quick break and come back to you then if that's okay. So I'm talking to Andy Ramage, who's been telling me about alcohol use and how it can cause anxiety and sleeplessness and fatty liver and ageing and all sorts of unpleasant things. But the bottom line is, Andy, 
alcohol is also nice and wine is good and people enjoy it and it's social and all of that. So how do we actually take all you've said, take it on board, but actually start doing something to make this more um, healthful, shall we say, or more consistent with with living a, a more healthy life? Yeah, and it's a great question. So the frame I put around it, rather than thinking about all the negative things that you avoid, think about all the the great things that you might actually benefit from, such as more time, such as better sleep, more energy, um, more momentum, more consistency, maybe the way that you move and exercise. You might find that you're more peaceful and calm in your relationships, which improve them. You might find that you're better at your job. You might find you're an even better parent. So I think with that lovely frame, the approach, I think, is to try and set up a break if you can. Test the system. Imagine if what I'm saying is right. Imagine if you lose some weight. Imagine if you feel a bit healthier. Your skin starts to glow. It's got to be worth an experiment, right? And the first thing that happens is people will look at their diary and go, oh, but I can't do it because I've got the 40th, I've got the 50th, I've got the birthday or the leaving do. They're the main reason to start this challenge. My, my advice is just start now. Just put it into play. Can you do 28 days for a bit of fun? See how that feels for you. And step two, download the Dry app. It's free, which is nice that it is. It's D-R-Y-Y, wherever you get your apps from. Get in there. There's an unbelievable community of people inspiring people that are loving their life and living their life and having the best time. This is the thing. Having more crack, more connection, still going out, still being social, drinking alcohol-free alternatives, and then taking these tactical breaks at times that are filling them with more energy and health. And in that group, are there people who accept that they want to have alcohol from time to time? Because again, I think people might have a fear. Well, if I join a group like that, they'll be a bit stuffy about it. You have to be completely off alcohol and you're letting the side down if you even have a drink at a party or something. Yeah, so we have a thing called Tactically Dry. You take tactical breaks every now and again. We have mostly dry, and that's the important one. That's someone that really is living more or less a bit of an alcohol-free lifestyle, but might on occasion choose to have a drink in full awareness. And then we have fully dry, which is where I am, you know, 10 years on this adventure. So actually, dry is for everyone. The foundation of it is either, you know, basically a period of time or a reduction in alcohol and then all the benefits that we celebrate because of that. I think that approach is excellent, the tactical dry, the mostly dry or the fully dry, because again, the all and nothing sort of approach. We had a, a pioneer movement in Ireland for many years and people yeah. wore the pioneer pin and it was very much alcohol is evil. And that would put people off even trying because they would feel, well, I can't meet up to that ideal, so I won't even try. But you're saying, no, 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 try it, whatever level you want. Is that really the message? Yeah, and the truth is this. My wife still drinks or my best friend still drink. I choose not to drink, you know, and I think that's the case for most people. It's very much a solo choice and a solo mission. So having an organization such as Dry, where you can come together and connect with like-minded people from all over the world, I think is, is really important because you'll probably find if you're courageous enough to run this test and take a break, most people around you won't be running that same test at the same time. Therefore, I think you need a space to come back to to remind yourself, why am I doing this? What are the benefits? And, you know, for me, it's one of those. If you actually try it and you get some benefits and you're fitter, faster and feel a bit healthier, what a brilliant experiment that was. It's very interesting you say that your wife uh, still enjoys a drink and you don't and that that's workable as a couple. You, you feel it's, it's very workable. Very workable. She's from Ireland. She's from Nathan, 
Kildare. So my best friends are uh, Irish, Tipperary and Cork. Yeah, of course, you've got to adjust a little bit as a couple. But again, like you said, it's not me seeing alcohol's evil. Far from it. You know, I want to be amongst it. I want to be social. I want my friends to make their own choices and enjoy themselves. But what I've realized is, and millions of others are realizing the same thing, actually, personally, I'm having much more fun because I don't drink. And I'm much more social because I don't drink. I'm fitter and faster and healthier at 48 than I was when I was 28 because I don't drink. Well, I think one of the, the key things you said there as well, that most people who try your 28 day challenge, they end up losing a few kilos in weight. That in itself has to be a good incentive. Exactly. And but imagine the health benefits. You know, if you actually reflect and think what it is that you're doing all the time in terms of drinking alcohol to give your beautiful body a bit of a rest, give it 28 days. It's crying out for it and your body will thank you. You'll look better and you'll feel better for it. Well, it's it's very interesting to hear that, as you say, taking the positive, not the negative. It's not giving up something. It's doing something positive. And I suppose, as you say, making a conscious effort to still go out, still have fun. That is so important because you can lock yourself away and go, oh, well, I can't socialise anymore. But that's so untrue, isn't it? We socialise all the time with alcohol in our careers, in our jobs, when we bump into someone in the coffee shop. And you can still go into the pub. The pubs in Ireland are the best pubs in the world. You know, they're great crack. But what makes the crack? Is it alcohol or is it the people? I would argue Irish people are great crack. The alcohol is a byproduct. And I think you've probably been duped slightly there through clever marketing. It's the people that make the crack. Therefore, go out, be social, do it alcohol-free, and imagine that when you wake up the next day without the hangover and the tiredness and the grogginess, and you feel great, and maybe the next day you connect with your friends in a different way, a sea swim, a bike, a hike. Your social life becomes even more rewarding. And obviously you might be more productive and and have more fun. And as you say, there are so many alternatives now available. There is not a pub in Ireland that doesn't have the zero, the zero's gin or the no Prosecco. Andy Ramage, it's been lovely talking to you. Thank you very much for that. And I hope a lot of people get lots of inspiration out of it. You're on the late lunch and as you know we've been running a a competition all week with the ARC Cinema and if you want to be in with a chance of winning a couple of those lovely sets of tickets for you and a few buddies to go to the movies in the ARC Cinema on Wednesday September the 20th you can enter quite simply by putting the words ARC Cinema followed by your name and location into our WhatsApp 086 1800 658 that's 086 1800 658 as usual text the words ARC Cinema with your name and location and you might win one of those lovely sets of tickets and the best of luck to everybody love to have a few men entering today we had a bit of a rap here yesterday about women winning all the tickets so if you're not in you can't win so let's get those texts in from a few of the gentlemen listers now my next guest is no doubt well known to you from her years as a reporter with RTE and currently as a presenter with Aroctus TV. She's also the author of The President's Letters and you're very welcome to the programme, Flora McCarthy. Thank you very much, Orla, and uh, great to be here in LMFM. Lovely studios. I'm just turning up your mic there, uh, Flora, and you might just move a little bit closer sure, to it if yeah. you would, please. I'm just admiring the studios and the buzz of being back in a radio studio. There's nothing like it. Right. So you are here today to tell us about your relatively recent appointment as the head of training for women for election and your mission to get more women to put themselves forward for election. Why is this important? Oh, well, 
That's the big question, isn't it? I would say why, you know, people ask, why do we need more women in politics? I'd say, why not? Um, Because it's time, basically, you know, in a nutshell. Um, If you look at our history uh, 100 years ago, at the foundation of the Irish state, women were very much involved, you know, revolutionary women in the foundation of Ireland. Um, Hannah Sheehy Skeffington, names like Kathleen Lynn and others. Countess Markovic was, was the first female cabinet minister in Europe. She was the second only in the world. And since then, women have taken a back seat in Irish politics and it's time for that to change. It took 60 years before we had the second female cabinet minister and that was Maura Gagan Quinn. So, you know, we were very much involved. We were then sidelined and locked out of the decision making. And um, there's been a lot of social change in Ireland over the last few years and that has been predominantly led by women. But we're not there yet. Our democracy isn't finished. You know, there's 51% of our population is female, but that's not uh, what we see in politics. You're you're so right about the argument for more women there. And even Mm. looking at that history, as you say, women so involved in the early days of the state. And then it's nearly like the men took over. They said, right, thanks, ladies, for your help with the revolution and all of that. But could you go back to the kitchen now, please? Make me a nice cup of tea there, wouldn't you, Kathleen? Yeah, exactly. And there's a very telling portrait in Oris Nuchtaron and it shows... Uh, President Hyde's first cabinet and there were two other uh, then future uh, Irish presidents there, De Valera and Sean Tio Kelly. And uh, I was there recently for with my colleagues, with, with Amy Kane, and we were looking at this portrait and it was to, you know, mark 50 years of uh, the Women's Council and women's organisations in Ireland. Every single person in that in that portrait was male and our politics has been dominated too long. Um, by men. I mean, they're doing a grand job in many ways, but really (laughs) it's not representative. If you walk outside the studios here and you look at the streets of Drogheda, it isn't just middle-aged, middle-class white men that you see on the street. There's a whole diversity out there that we need to represent. not reflected in our politics. Really shockingly, this floored me when I came on board with Women for Election last March. Ireland stands on the globalist of countries for female representation in Parliament. We're 101, Orla. We're behind China. We're behind Iraq, countries not exactly renowned for their gender equality or, or human rights. We're near the bottom of the table How in Europe. How is that, Flora? How are we still so bad at this? And I just have to say, as a disclaimer here, I've obviously worked with Women for Election myself over mm. a number of years. I've helped with training women to become involved in politics. And I just want to say, mm. if you're listening to this and saying, that's not me, it could actually be you. It could actually be you, that woman who goes forward. But tell us why we're so bad first in Ireland at this. Well, I was looking last month, it was... Um, the centenary of the 1923 general election and the numbers jumped out at me. We're now 100 years on, 2023, and we have 23% of female TDs. Now, of the 37 women in in, in Leinster House, in the Doyle, uh, 31 have come through our training and you have done amazing work with them. I just want to credit you for that. Why is it like this? I think... Traditionally, we've done a lot of research and over the years, various women's organisations and women's political movements have uh, commissioned academic research to look into the barriers, the impediments for women to get involved in politics. And five C's were identified, really, and those are culture. It has traditionally been a male culture. And if you don't see 
role models. You know, for example, um, just 25% of our local councillors are female. 19% in Cork City Council. It goes down to 11 in Donegal. I have to say to you, we mm. have some excellent local councillors here in the northeast. We have really dynamic women who have been at it for a good number of years. Right across you the do. parties, mm. they're actually excellent. But you're, and you're right. doing very well in Louth because I was looking it up um, because I knew you'd expect me to do my sums. Um, 29 councillors, you're 34% here in Louth ahead of the game. 10 so that's good. Mm. But the point is you're saying about culture is... Do, do a lot of women think, oh, but it's not me. I, I can't put forward. What do I know about politics? What do I know? And it's not about politics in the sense of starting out, is it? It's about having a voice. It's about wanting to change something. It could be that you've a, a child with a disability and you really want to campaign for change. Absolutely. First of all, you know, there's no special qualification needed to be a politician. You don't need to have a degree in politics. You don't need to be you know, brilliant at, at, at being on media, for example. Um, so th- there are no qualifications needed. Anybody can do it. And as you say, there are women all over Ireland already working in their local communities, already volunteering. They have their sleeves rolled up and are doing superb community work um, and, you know, a lot of caring work and um, not getting enough recognition for that. It's not a huge step to go from there and being an activist. It could be work you're doing in your own community or it could be an issue. So a lot of our politicians have come into politics via feeling very strongly about the environment in their local area or it could be you know, campaigning on disability or LGBTQ plus I rights. So it could be that way. We then... Uh, encourage these women to find their voice to uh, up their game on their communication. Well, you you talked about the five C's and obviously the next one is confidence and, you know, the confidence to say, I've already campaigned to have the extension built on the school. I've already, you know, campaigned not to have the pylons go across the backfield. I've done that. So then moving that forward to say, well, actually, could I be a councillor? You know, to build that confidence and to say to them, you know, self-select, don't wait for somebody to say you should do this. Oh, yeah. But a lot of women do need uh, this message that we're putting out today that that why not you? Um, that maybe they're, they're brilliant at doing the work. They're fantastic organisers. They've got networks like you wouldn't believe. But it's that next step into politics that maybe they haven't um, thought about. But confidence to do that is huge. And, you know, it's not going to be easy. Um, There are continued impediments. I mean, the landscape can be a difficult one. Stepping into politics, there's more and more uh, abuse, perhaps, that you may come up against on on social media in particular. But, you know, we're dealing with that. Um, It is not enough of a reason not to go ahead. Um, Confidence on the doorsteps. We also do a lot of work with women on, you know, how to present themselves on the door, how to get the message across. Literally training people to say, OK, when you go to a doorstep, how do you actually ask yeah, for yeah. the vote? Training them how to open the gate and avoid the dog and walk up to the door and take a big, deep breath and, and leave a lasting impression. And, you know, maybe not stand there and say, I'm here, you should listen to me because, but to engage with the person on the doorstep. What do you think? And well, I'll take that away and that will inform my policy. 
And you also talk about one of the, the five C's is candidate selection and a, the discrimination obviously comes in there in that there are women, many women, I think, who maybe reach out, try to join a political party and sort of feel, am I welcome here? Am I ever going to be the candidate? Mm. Am I going to be dismissed as being somebody who's going to be a helper or who's going to put up posters but is not actually going to be taken seriously. How do you get around that? Candidate selection is really important and, you know, I think recognising the problem of not enough women in politics is the first step and all political parties in Ireland have now signed up to uh, agreeing to take steps, take practical steps. So they have, for example, um, staff, inclusion and diversity staff who are working on this. Um, They're actively training women as well and getting involved in our training um, and they are seeking candidates. I heard on Morning Ireland Arrival Station um, programme this morning, all party leaders with, with the dog term about to begin next week, they're going on air and they're setting out their stall for the next uh, the rest of this term. So this morning two of our female party leaders were on, Ivana Babchik of Labour and Holly Cairns, leader of the Social Democrats. Both of those were saying, and I know the other female political party leader, Mary Lou MacDonald, who will be on as well, would agree that uh, those their parties are actively seeking women and it's not too late. So we've got the local elections coming up right around the country next June and those parties are still seeking candidates. But you're right, you know, if, if they haven't been seeing women in, in their local council, they may be thinking, well... Uh, that doesn't and when you me. say the political parties are actively seeking women, and mm. clearly it is to redress this very simple equality issue, but what kind of woman are they looking for? Every kind of woman out there. So it isn't just um, those who are working in their local uh, community you know, association or whatever. It's anyone who's interested in politics and feels, hey, I've got a voice, I've got a message, I want to be involved in this. Um, and and as I said, so they're still actively seeking them. Um, winnable seats, Orla, is important though. You know, it isn't political parties just saying, well, there's a quota system now. We have to have uh, in the next general election, it goes from 30 to 40%. And that has been making a difference. But it's not just parties paying lip service saying, we stick women's names on the list there. We want winnable seats for them. I want to ask you more about that in just a moment. We're with Flora McCarthy from Women for Election and we're going to just take a break. You're on the late lunch and I'm here with Flora McCarthy, who is the head of training for Women for Election. And we were talking about women who are very sort of passionate about some topic. It might be the environment, it might be disability, it might be LGBTQ rights. So you may already have done lots of campaigning and fundraising and awareness raising about an issue and you may have already all of the skills to go forward for election. So what would encourage you to take the next step? How hard is it to get elected, Flora, to your local council? It's not that difficult. And, you know, a lot of women would feel, well, I don't have any family in politics. And traditionally, Ireland has been very much the family dynasties. You know, we know the names uh, where you have generations in the same family involved in politics or you may be new to Ireland or you may feel, well, you know, I I have a disability or I'm a traveller and if you stop and think about it, you, we all have networks of people and it's not that difficult to come up with enough people to be elected to your local council. It could be a few thousand votes, it could be 2,000 votes, could get you in the door. And if you really think about who those people are who may vote for you, you start with the obvious place, your family, well, usually, <laughs> um, your uh, friends, your neighbours, 
your local community, if you're involved in, say, a book club or a sports club, um, those numbers clock up very quickly. And those people can also be people who help out with your campaign. If they believe in you, they might actually come out with you and help you knock on those those doors. Yeah, that's very important to say. And we always tell women when we're training that, you know, our training sessions aren't only for women who want to run for politics, but also for those who want to help in a campaign. And, you know, men can be very useful in a campaign as well. Um, You need people with expertise. So you may have a candidate, some woman listening now who thinks, God, you know, that could be for me to run for my local council. I have a passion for change. I want to get things done. Um, But I don't have expertise on um, social media, for example, or I don't have expertise on fundraising. If you really think about it, you may know somebody who can help. And that's what you do. You build a team around you. And it's not necessary even people who are interested in politics. It's not even about politics. It's more about equality. And it's more about saying this woman has a voice and she will represent me. So therefore, it's only right that I support her and put her forward. I think you'd find a lot of people who might just get involved who have no experience of politics, but just say, look, I want to see a bit of equality here. Oh, yeah. I mean, we, we all have seen areas where it, it has been shocking. We've had a lot of societal change in Ireland over recent decades. But, you know, I think back Orla, to my mother's time. I grew up in Skibbereen. My mum was from Dublin, but um, she knew an awful lot of women her age who had to, you know, because of the marriage bar, quit their jobs, put a an eject uh, button on their career. And there's one lovely story of um, a woman I came across. Uh, I know her granddaughter. Her name was Bridget Murphy. She worked as a secretary in Arsenochthoron for President Douglas Hyde. And as soon as she got married in the late 30s, she lost her job because she had to make way for some young man. Um, years later, 50 years later, she was one of the first people to volunteer for the campaign of Mary Robinson, who had herself as a lawyer worked to end the marriage bar. So, you know, generations of women out there um, have been uh, on the receiving end of inequality. Well, you know, you're, you're making me think of a, a personal story as well. My great aunt, Maradne Grother, was the exact same. She worked for Arnon de Blythe, one of the very early ministers. And same thing, had to leave, had to marriage bar and all of that. And she ended up being separated in a day when nobody was. And she became a playwright and her famous play was on Thrill. And it was the same thing. It was women creating opportunities for themselves. So women are brilliant yeah. at needs must, at actually creating an opportunity. But maybe just women listening to this would think, yeah, I do wonderful things for the Rotary Committee or whatever I'm involved with, but our politics is a step too far. How do we say, no, it's not a step too far? Well, you know what? I All of my friends um, and all of my friends' friends, you know, so many women in Ireland are working so hard to get to the end of the day or to get to the end of the week juggling um, childcare or elder care or trying to put food on the table or trying to get a day's work done and walk the dog and mind themselves. You're not going to get it all done. We work incredibly hard. And I imagine there are a lot of people listening who would say, well, you know, I, I am really capable but I'm stretched in too many different directions. That's where having help around you comes in. So as we were just saying there... Build the, net- the tribe. Build, Build the, the tribe, network. The network of helpers, even if it's down to, you know, somebody minding your kids while you go canvassing, somebody driving you along the canvas. You need a little team to help you. Um, and then check our website, womenforelection.ie, because we've got some fantastic training there and workshops, and a lot of it is online. So you can dip your toe in 
and, and you know, come along to some of our free workshops and webinars and see, well, could this be for me? You're right when you say just dip your toe in the water and try it out, because a lot of people will say, well, not only do I not have the time because childcare is one of those five C's that we mentioned. And the other one is cash. Women would mm. say, but sure, I don't have the money. And how would I raise the money to run for election? But you're saying you, you try to make the courses that you offer accessible. Oh, we do. Yeah. I mean, several of them are are free. Others are, you know, nominal fee because we need to uh, hire a venue sometimes or train trainer, get trainers. Um, But on the fundraising, we also do training on that. So we've got great tips on from the experts, from the people who've done it successfully on how to raise funds. You know, a lot of women listening have done this already. They've they've raised funds for their local hospice or for cancer treatment. Um, or the local school. And so there are, there are great tips. And if you get involved in party politics and someone would say to us, well, you know, but there isn't one party that that I can see myself aligning with. Um, I don't think any politician would say that their own party is perfect um, or has all of the answers to all of society's ills. But you can find a party that ticks some of the boxes, get involved with them and of course, that is going to help with, with funding your political uh, future. I love the way you say as well, you know, the, the diversity piece is so important. Um, I know here in Meath, we have Councillor Yemi Adenuga and she is a force of nature. She mm. came from Nigeria and her backstory is so interesting in terms of being in a family where her father had half a dozen wives or something so culturally yeah. different to us. And she's embedded in Meath and doing great work. She is. And, and she, she fell in love with Navin. She talks about this story about seeing it on a map, um, getting off a bus and realising for the first time since she'd left Nigeria this is home. She started volunteering in local schools in community associations to give back something to her community and that's what drove her in politics and you know people can be cynical about what it is that gets somebody to get involved in politics and it's self-serving Yemi is uh, Ireland's first female black elected councillor and she's a perfect example of somebody doing it for her community well, I see you're here, at Flower um, McCarthy, here with us in studio, and you're wearing your Women for Election T-shirt, and it is a hashtag More Women, and it is a very, very strong message. I don't think anybody would argue that when women get into the roles, they do actually make a difference. They can be very Im- impactful, as we've just been hearing there about Yami. So those courses are on the Women for Election uh, website, mm-hmm. and they're coming up fairly soon because obviously we're we're starting the lead in now to the next uh, set of elections. Yeah, they are. They're running. Um uh, at the moment, actually, we've just started and we're about to launch. We'll be at the Ploughing Championships next week, Mon- Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. And our slogan for the ploughing is give it welly. We hope we won't need them actual wellies and the, the weather will, will be with us. But uh, lots of information on our website. We've done training courses also, f- you know, with people with disabilities and um, a great one with travellers uh, in the spring. So all women are, are more than welcome to come along. Maybe you know nothing about politics. We've got introduction to politics. Maybe you are very accomplished and you need to uh, work on your media. So um, we cover it all. Well, Flower McCarthy of Women for Election and formerly of RTE, thank you so much for coming in to us today. And I hope you've encouraged a few women to think about putting themselves forward for election. And if you want to comment on anything you heard here today, you can, of course, on 086 1800 658 and back after this. Thanks. 
Kiss Me from Dermot Kennedy. And coming up tomorrow, we'll have our normal Friday sports preview with David Sheehan. And no doubt he'll be talking to us about the Rugby World Cup. And I was listening to a story on the RT News last night about an outbreak of botulism in Bordeaux. And not wanting to make light of a serious issue for anyone involved, I was just imagining all the mammies making the calls. Johnny, are you all right, lovey? Is the stomach okay? Did you eat anything? Are the lads all right? And of course, we've all been there. But I did actually speak to a rugby fan last night who's just back from a wild few days with no voice, none whatsoever. He whispered this story to me and of course it made me think of Italia 90 and all the legends that emanated from Jack's army and even that song of Christy Moore's, if you remember it, Joxer's Army and the camper van and the lad who met the Fraulein from the banks of the River Rhine who turned up of course in Ballymun in an interesting condition a few months later but enough about that. There'll be loads of those stories no doubt coming from France 2023 but this chap anyway he took off for a few days with the lads and booked in with Ryanair to Paris and thought he was going to land in Charles de Gaulle Airport. But of course, it was Paris Beauvais, which is a bit like saying Dublin Carlingford and hoping the tourists won't notice. So he's landing and there's no sign of Paris below and he thinks, oh, they must be sending us to one of the outer runways. But of course, he gets into this little shed is the only way to describe it on the side of the runway with a couple of desks and a kiosk and he realises that it's a tiny airport way out of the way so he queues for a bus and it's 85 kilometres into Paris and there's a long wait and yes you've guessed it there's one bus and it's going to drive all the way to Paris with the first slot and then turn around and come back for the second half of the plane so seriously this is getting really serious for him because although he's left loads of time he thinks to catch his train to Bordeaux it's getting a a bit um, difficult for him. Anyway, long story short, he scrapes the train to Bordeaux, catches up with the lads, has a great weekend, gets to see a couple of the games, but that's when the fun really begins because he's to get back to Carlingford. No, I'm sorry, of course, I do mean Beauvais, the place Ryanair is still calling Paris. So he gets off the long distance train from Bordeaux and obviously now knowing about the sketchy bus service we just heard about, he realises he has to get a taxi and it's 180 euro and no lad on a football trip has that kind of money left, has to pay over the taxi money, gets in to the, the airport in plenty of time, he thinks, a good hour, hour and a half before the flight. But the place is all empty, desks all closed and the plane is sitting there on the tarmac, people getting on it, but security won't allow him board. His battery on his phone has died and he can't get the reference number and they say his passport is not enough. Now, we all know these days all they have to do is put in your passport details and it's all there in front of them. But no, they won't retrieve his details and won't let him on the plane. So the next plane isn't until the following day at three o'clock. So he thinks, well, nothing for it. I'm just going to have to kip on an airport bench as you do on these overnights uh, in an airport and buy the flight for the following day. But very frustrating when you can still see the plane sitting outside the window, nearly touching distance out there on the tarmac. But anyway, he settles down to find a bench and security come along because this is such a small airport. Guess what? It closes at night, 11.30 at night and security are throwing him out and you don't argue with French security people. Allez, beat, out, out of the, of the airport in the middle of nowhere. They just don't care. So he's standing outside the the door and he thinks all the buses have gone. But thankfully, the last shuttle bus comes along, a bit like the last chopper out of Saigon, 
gets back to civilization somewhere in the outskirts of actual Paris and he finds a hotel and there's rooms available sign on the door 75 euro phew not going to be sleeping on a park bench all well but the guy at the desk looks him straight in the face and says 170 euro take it or leave it and what can he do it's one o'clock in the morning no breakfast included and he still has to get back to Carlingford sorry I mean Beauvais to get home and he still has to explain to the girlfriend and his boss what happened and these are the joys of being a fan so if you're planning to get over there to France for any of the rest of the games be very very careful about a place called Beauvais but my friend did say the best part of the trip and it could only happen on a football trip was meeting and hanging out with a bunch of older Welsh fans who for years flew into Belfast came down to Drogheda spent rugby weekends at the Weavers or the Trinity Arms and there was some music or choir connection with their home Valley, hometown in the valleys in Wales. And I thought, well, only on a rugby or a football trip, this is what those weekends are all about. Now, a mum and her son, who has a rare genetic disorder, have had done incredible work in weight loss. Geraldine and Carl Rooney are very, very welcome to the programme. We're going to hear a bit about that. And we're also going to be joined in a few moments by Paula McGarry, who's your Slimming World consultant who helped you made all of this happen. So I'm going to start with you, Geraldine. You became interested in slimming and fitness really because of Carl's condition or is it something you were always interested in anyway? No, well, I'm, I was big myself for a while and about 10 years ago, I started, my cousin Vivian Wiley dragged me out walking and um, I didn't think I was, would be able to walk. We walked as far as Fantasia and then to my other cousin's house and I said, can I get my husband to pick me up? And she said, no, you're walking home. At what weight were you then, Geraldine? I was over 15 stone. And you're not a big person, so that was a lot to be yeah, carrying. Yeah, and I found it very hard to walk and... Um, I kept it up and I did lose the weight. Um, I lost over the five stone over a few years. And in 2016 and 2017, I had a couple of surgeries and the weight had to come back on. So when I lost it, Carl and my husband joined Slim and Mold. And Carl, they kept at it and I started tipping away at the recipes that they had. And um, I was getting tips off them and off my cousin as well, because um, she joined Slim and Mold as well. And um, just from there on, um, I just kept tipping away at it. So you made this a family thing. You all got yeah. involved, which yeah. is brilliant because yeah. then that yeah. means you're cooking the right meals yeah. and you're doing all of those things together. together. Yeah. 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 And with Carl, then I was delighted when Carl did join it because with his disability, um, they would always put the weight on. It's very hard for them to actually lose weight. So when he was there, I was actually delighted and I would cook the dinners for him. He loves the dinners. And he loves going to class. But then my husband left because he changed jobs. So that's when I joined with Carl and I started going with Carl. And Carl, I gather you are very good at texting and asking mum what you're allowed to eat. Mm -hmm. That's that's a great habit to be in. You're very good to do that. Yeah. So what would you say to her if you're out and about with your friends? What kind of a message would you send to mum? I asked my mum, can I get coffee? Even a coffee? Oh, you're so good. That's very disciplined now. If he's even asking you about a coffee, it's not even like asking about an ice cream or asking about a big dinner. Oh, you, sometimes you would, you would text and say, can I get this? Or can I, you know, can I get this for me? Friday treat with the centre that he's, he's in. Um, I'd say, right, well, that's your treat every two weeks. So just try not to go over the budget that you have. 
And what's your favourite treat, Carl, on a Friday? What treat would you go for? Uh, I don't know. Can't think of anything now. I was afraid yeah. to say with Paula there. <laughs> Well, we'll bring Paula in here now because Paula McCarry is the Slimming World consultant, Paula. So are you the boss lady here? I'm the boss lady. <laughs> um, Carol and Geraldine come in to me every every Wednesday morning in Marion. Oh, Thursday morning. We changed, yeah. <laughs> every Thursday morning into Marion Park and uh, very much a very, very special part of the group. Carla's a social team as well, so he helps out and sells the raffle tickets and everybody loves him. And... Uh, we help him, uh, you know, in group if he's if he knows, like, I'm going away this weekend. What can I do? You know, he goes off with a recipe book and the centre help him cook the meals that he's allowed to have. And he gets great support, don't you? Mm-hmm. That's absolutely yeah. brilliant. Yeah. And Carl, if you don't mind, I want to ask your mum about your condition. Is that OK? Yeah. She can explain it to me. All right, because Carl has a special condition that impacts on how he eats. Yeah, it's called Prader-Willi syndrome. He's actually missing chromosome 15. That means... Um, He's never full. He would just constantly, if he's not monitored, he would constantly just keep eating, 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 eating. And the results wouldn't be great if he just kept eating. He would just keep piled away on and it wouldn't be. And have you known this since he was a child, that um, this is one aspect of this condition? Yeah, from when he was about four, he was diagnosed um, up in Crumlin Hospital and he was under Dr. Costigan, Dr. Dr. Costigan and he was just brilliant. And now he's in Tala with the adult team. Um, we're only back going up there now recently so um, but yeah he was four years of age when he was diagnosed because from about one one and a half we could see no matter what he was eating the way it was piling and he had the speech wasn't great and a few developmental problems so when we all got di- when he got diagnosed with Prader-Willi syndrome like we knew we had to start working on things and getting speech therapy and just monitoring what he was eating and I still have to monitor what he's eating. And doing this as a family all together I think is so positive. Do you find that often Paula in your Slimming World classes? Do you find that people yeah, will absolutely. come like that yeah, as a family? Even the, sometimes the men don't like coming um, but they'll be happy to lose the way at home. You know um, every every family has look any, any woman member that's there always tries to make her family healthy absolutely and especially with young kids and, and, and partners I've and heard of Slimming World myself and I've heard people talking about the sins and I've always been fascinated <laughs> by that what are sins when you're in Slimming World okay so basically um, our foods are grouped okay we've got kind of four categories of foods we've got speed free foods which are your very very low calorie foods you've got free foods which are low calorie foods you've got healthy extras which are there because your diet requires them and they do have kind of more calories than your free and speed would and then you have sins which is your high calorie high fat high sugar stuff sin stands for synergy not for bless me <laughs> very good sinned. i'm glad yeah. you made that clear <laughs> and synergy being that you have to have all food groups within your diet so that's why they're there um, and every high calorie high sugar food has a sin value um, depending on the number of calories fat sugar etc that's in them you're allowed a certain amount of sins per day five to 15 for women in general and men get an extra 10 so Carla's blessed with an extra 10 sins more than his mother has um, because men have bigger organs they have more they need more calories to to survive so Just they get function. more yeah, yeah yeah and when you say um, sins we were talking earlier on the programme with um, a, an advocate for cutting down on alcohol so alcohol clearly would have a high, high sugar sin, content yeah high yeah. sin value yeah um, you're talking 
pint of beer could be 12 cents. Pint of cider, cider 16 cents. That's a you know, lot. Of the sugar. Yeah, yeah. The sugar content. And the ordinary glass of white wine that us ladies love in the evening. Standard, How many cents? Standard glass, you know. Not minimum, a bucket. A minimum pub measure. 10 to 12 sins a glass. 10 to 12 yeah. sins in Depending an on ordinary. the percentage alcohol. Yeah. So obviously, the higher the alcohol content, the higher the sugar content. Yeah. Yeah. But it's all about, from what I'm hearing you, it's it's balance, isn't it's it? It's balance. It's a healthy living. It's a healthy living plan. And I say to every member that walks in the door, it's a lifestyle change. It's not a diet. Yeah. So it's you eating healthily for the rest of your life. Um, you, you're free, as I said, you're free and your speed free foods are your low calorie foods and they're all the healthy. The speed free would be your vegetables and your your uh, your fruits and stuff like that. So we ask that you have a third of them on your plate with every meal that you have. And then your carbohydrates and your protein would be a lot of the other free foods. And can, when I say carbohydrates, I mean the pasta, rices and potatoes would be free. I'm not talking bread or or anything like that they'd be the higher calories so it's foods. real education for people to that's learn exactly what it is it. it's a balanced yeah. diet it's it's yeah. a healthy living plan and tell me something Geraldine when you now have gone on this programme we're all human we're all you know we all slip up from time to time mm. do you find it hard to keep the family all together on this programme all of the time or do you give yourself days off or little times off there would be an odd day now I would um if I was out for the day now, I would maybe get a takeaway. But the takeaways don't actually agree with me anymore because I haven't had them for so long. So which is a good thing because it means I wouldn't be getting them as much. But nine out of ten, it's all slim and wool stuff. I do cook. And when you do want to give yourself a treat, what is the treat? Um, If I'm not cooking, it'd probably be a Chinese or it'd be a chip up. Yeah. And how often? Once a fortnight or something? You're trying to limit it, obviously. Um, It'd be once a month if it does happen. Very good. Just as my husband was saying today, like we were just talking about it on the way up. And he said, um, he said, it's a good thing that the takeaways don't agree with us the next day. He says, I'd rather you sit and cooking. Well, not sit and cooking. He says, I'd rather you cooking on the weekends. Like it does. I ha- haven't done. He just said there today, the gammon steaks and the... Uh, vegetables and the pepper sauce. I haven't done that in a long time. And he says that he says I'd love that on Saturday. He says I'd rather that in a takeaway. And isn't isn't that amazing? Well, that's the re-education piece that Geraldine is talking about happening right there. Or, yeah. or uh, sorry, I mean Paul that's is talking about happening right there. Yeah. That your taste is actually changing because yeah. you're actually yeah. more interested now in the healthy food. Yeah. And you you were saying you slipped up and put on a little weight, but you've re- yeah, lost it I, again. I or slipped up and I put, I I did I put on two stone just over two stone and and was that during COVID when we were all messed up and then coming into COVID it it just it was just creeping up it goes on so quick and takes ages to come off like um, it's only something clicked and it's just coming off now I was one and a half off now so I've another half to go for me target and I'll see after that I might set another one but Carol was the same he put he lost three and a half when he started fabulous well done and put a little on Oh, you know, through coming up to COVID and over COVID, like he's. And are you determined to stick with the program, Carl? Good man, well done. And with the support of uh, Paula, you're you're going to do very very well. So, Paula, just tell us 
before we wrap up there, where does your group meet? Thursday morning in uh, Drogheda Town FC in Marion Park at half past nine. And we have another one in Betty's Town on a Wednesday in the Village Hotel, 9.15 and 6pm. 9.15 in the morning. Well, that's absolutely great to hear. Geraldine and Carl Rooney and Paul and McGarry, thank you so much for joining us today on LMF. At this time of the year, every year, we hear lots about the coffee morning for hospice. And people all over the country host coffee mornings in clubs and schools and in their homes to raise money for hospice and palliative care all over the country and I don't think there's a single family among us that hasn't been affected by the loss of somebody through some kind of a prolonged or short or long term terminal illness and maybe has received great, great support from the hospice movement. So I think it's something that's very close to the hearts of most of us. And here locally, a lady has been hosting, a mum of two has been hosting coffee mornings in aid of the East Meath Hospice Association for 28 years in a row. It's obviously a big thing for you and Linda Donnelly, you're very welcome. Thank you very much. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. How did you get started in the first one, Linda? What led you to doing this? Um, It actually, it was other local ladies that started it first when it came out Um, and I sort of went along I suppose as a, a guest first and then kind of got roped in and as people returned to work I realised um, I really enjoyed doing it and the parish is great so a uh, great community here so we always used the uh, parish hall up until Covid hit and then we had to rethink everything but um, even during Covid people were very good still donating which was marvellous now, your big event this year is in the Bellius Town Racecourse and you moved it there because you felt it was maybe less intimidating for somebody to walk in if it was in somebody's home. Tell me a bit about that. It was always, as I say, in the parish hall and that was always enjoyable because people could just come and go as opposed, as you say, going into somebody's home. And then the parish hall after COVID was being renovated. So we approached the uh, racing board and they were delighted to offer us the Stanhouse restaurant and we were absolutely thrilled to accept because it's absolutely beautiful up on the hill and there's great parking and all the facilities are there. So we were made up, to be honest, yeah. And you've raised 40,000 for the hospice over those years. That is absolutely a substantial sum. Do you know where it's gone or what difference it's made? Um, well, I know it makes a difference all the time every year. Like when we started off, it was quite humble. It was maybe a couple of hundred and then it did increase over the years. But, it's, yeah, it goes to East Mead Hospice and it helps with the um, the driving service um, for patients to get to hospitals to their appointments and their treatments. Well, that is something very significant because I know it is hard for people to get to those um, hospital appointments. They may be in Dublin or further afield and family members yeah. do their best. And I know neighbours and friends are, are, are always so good at these things. But sometimes you just need a stranger to step in, don't you? Well, that's it, exactly. And um, that's where most of the money actually would go into, would be for the, the driving service. But I know long term, East Mead are hoping to build a hospice building. That would be the goal to get to. Well, that would be something very significant mm. to achieve here in East Meath. I think it would be just a, an, an amazing uh, success amazing. story yeah. if we could get a, an actual permanent hospice. It would be just mm-hmm. wonderful. Yeah. But tell me about the coffee morning you're having and you're going with a vintage theme. Well, we sort of always did that. Um, over the years, we used to borrow tea sets from people. 
And then some years ago, started to go into the charity shops and pick up the cups and saucers and all oddments kind of things. And we use those. It just makes it look a little bit quirky. And we use um, lovely old linen tablecloths. Um, so that sort of thing. Yeah, it's, it's called the, um, the shabby chic look, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I thought it's a nice way of putting it. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I think it makes it very welcoming. And even last year, like, we had all our lovely bunting out and even though it rained, but can't help that. But I think people like it when they come in. It's not so, um, what would you say, sterile. It's very welcoming and friendly. And the group of women that's um, the team that's with me, they are just amazing. Like, they're really, really good. They put their heart and soul into it every year. I was going to say there, there must be a team involved and it's a lot of work getting all those lovely teacups you've said washed and cleaned yeah. and laid out. And wh- when do you start the work to put it all together? Well, it's already started. We have all our um, raffle cards printed up for the last few weeks. The advertising has all gone out. Um, I've all the tablecloths ironed. So next Tuesday, we will set up the Stanthouse restaurant and just have it ready for the Thursday, the 21st. Um, yeah. Well, it sounds absolutely lovely. And obviously, this has been supported by Bewley's since it started, I think, in 1992. And something yeah. like 43 million has been raised all over the country. It's phenomenal, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's unbelievable. But I have to say here in Town, the community, I mean, oh my God, they come together so well for this every year. And they donate prizes, which I was making up into hampers today. And it's extraordinary. They're really, really kind and very supportive. And as you said earlier, it touches every family at some point. And so you know... We, we all need this now. You're right. It touches all the families, but we do need these in-person events again, don't we? We just need to get oh, out and meet our neighbours. Yeah, absolutely. Like last year, it was unreal. Like people hadn't seen each other throughout the pandemic. And it was just, it was gobsmacking looking at them, meeting each other and being able to hug or still bump elbows or whatever it is they wanted to do. But um, yeah, it's just so, so friendly. And as I say, they're so supportive out here. All the people, they're really, really good and kind. All right. Well, Linda Donnelly um, of the Bellews Town Coffee Morning, Bewley's Coffee Morning Committee and all your team. I wish you every success for it. I hope you have a lovely morning. That's Thursday, September the 21st. What time does it start? From 10.30 to 12.30. 10.30 to 12.30 on the Bellustown race course, which is always a fabulous place to go. Hopefully you'll get the weather and we'll see, you'll see all those amazing views across the valley. That's where we have to leave it for today on The Late Lunch. My thanks to uh, our producer and all the team here as always. And hopefully I'll be back with you this time tomorrow. Until then, have a great afternoon. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.